I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. Before we get to today's guest, a big thanks to Dr. Dish Basketball for sponsoring the podcast. The offseason for my team is here, and that means players are spending a lot more time in the gym by themselves. But thanks to our Dr. Dish CT, players are able to watch pre-programmed videos and workouts, ball handling, shooting, to make sure that they're improving this offseason. With the new Rebel Plus and All-Star Plus, along with the CT model, your players can take advantage of these incredible resources. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com and be sure to mention a quick timeout podcast to receive $300 off your purchase. Making his annual appearance on the podcast is Hoop Vision's Jordan Sperber. I'm not sure that we can call it annual if it's only the second time that it's happened, but we're going to call it annual anyways. So Jordan, I, thanks well, I, This is my third time, I think. Yes, um, this is the third time to be on the show, our annual uh, oh, March, March Madness, Madness edition. March Madness. Okay. I think okay. actually you're only the third. The you're only the f- second. Maybe you might be the first uh, third timer third. on the show. So the first one was the best. Just stop listening to this and just go. You can't do that. Texas Tech's defense. I think we talked about no, yeah. no. But uh, this will be a lot more topical for. Uh, uh, March Madness, March in general. Like the, the Texas Tech one was awesome. I feel like the questions today will kind of uh, be similar to that. So don't turn okay. this one off. You can go download and I'm really, that. really bad at advertising. <laughs> yeah, live you really just killed us. Yeah, I'm watching the numbers just drop as, as you're talking. Here. One of the reasons why I like to have Jordan on this year is uh, because of the Hoop Vision NCAA Tournament Bible. Are you doing that this year, Jordan? Yeah, so on uh, Friday, in my Friday newsletter, I finally announced it. I'd known for a while and I'd been starting to get emails and messages about it, which is, um, if anyone's listening, I'm, I'm really thankful that, that people are uh, um, looking out for it. But this year we aren't doing the Bible. For those of you that, that don't know what it, what it is, it was a, a scouting report, one page scouting report for every single team that made the NCAA tournament. So all 68 teams. And then some other stuff too. There was a stats page for each team with some data visualization and then like bracket strategy. And as you can imagine, to to put that together for all 68 teams, the first year we did it was just three people. And that was a bit insane. I did other stuff also, and I'm, I'm still doing a lot of that other stuff right now. And to think about like, that's enough as, as is I'm, I'm busy right now. And to think about how much I was doing that first year. It was uh, a lot of fun because it was like our proof of concept. I had I hadn't tried to uh, charge anyone for anything up until that point. And so the, the Bible did a really, uh, it, it sold above our expectations. And we put it together again last year. I came on this podcast as we were putting it together and the tournament got canceled. And that definitely played a little bit of a role. It's just, I don't know, we, I can't really explain it psychologically, but it, it, it's yeah. its like, I feel like I just was making this Bible, you know? And so we're taking the year off, but I think there's a pretty good chance that we bring it back eventually. So some of the stuff that we'll talk about is things that would be included in that. And we'll also talk and reference some of the places that you can find more about it. I want to start with this. It's something that you said last year. We were talking about like predicting the tournament and, you know, the last season push to get get teams to 
to win at the end of the year, the regular season, the conference tournament. You said games in November and December are as predictive to March successes as games in February and March. This year feels weird to me. And, I, you know, several teams that I've, I've watched a few times already, I still feel like I have no clue who they are. Do you get that feeling at all? Yeah, I mean, like the first team that comes to mind, this isn't exactly what you were just explaining, but like a Baylor who was shut down for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks from for COVID related reasons. And I think probably not even practicing, you know, which there is a pretty big difference, I think, practicing versus not practicing um, while during your shutdown. And for a team like that, you know, they, they have been playing well these last couple games. But it's extremely difficult to adding that in to this year to, to try to evaluate where these teams are at. I listen to a lot of press conferences from coaches, uh, kind of for fun, which is a, a weird hobby. And they all complain about not enough practice time. It's such a weird year. I listen to that and I'm like, well, it's the same for everyone. <laughs> you know, like the team you're playing against is, is in the same boat. I do, I think even from predictive modeling perspectives like Ken Pomeroy's system and, and others, I think I've read where their predictions are a little bit worse this year in general. Maybe not as much as you would think given how great, but they are, we're a little bit worse at, at figuring out who the best teams are this year. And then you have uh, like the Patriot League with, with Colgate it, uh, is a top 10 team in net right now. Colgate's played like three teams all year. They've played them six times in in some cases. Uh, So a team like that, we more know how good they are from recent history. How good has the best team in the Patriot League normally been? Like, so that's, that's more how we can piece that through than them playing BU six times, you know, which is, which is pretty crazy. We heard all November, December about how the older experienced teams were going to outperform the younger teams. And uh, aside from maybe isolated instances where people are really paying attention, I mean, like the Duke, the Kentuckys, has that turned out to actually be the case? And should that impact how people select their tournament teams? It really hasn't. I think that Kentucky, like Duke's a little bit older this year than they normally are with, with Jordan Goldwire and Joey Baker's back. And I mean, Matthew Hurts, their best player. He's a sophomore. That's usually their best player is a freshman, right? But with, with Kentucky, especially that, that narrative was for sure created. I mean, Kentucky's been bad this year with a young roster. That's, that's a fact. Um, but there's other examples of teams that do do have everyone back. Wisconsin, I think, literally returned their whole starting lineup, an older team. And they've I, I really like them, too. I'm watching them in, in November and, and December, I was pretty high on them. And they've really struggled here. Creighton's another team that I thought coming into the season was a potential, you know, if, if, if things went right, a top five type of team and with almost everyone coming back. And they've underachieved. Uh, so there's both there's both ends of the spectrum. I think that the narrative might be a little bit over talked about, though. So let's talk kind of bigger picture here. Anything statistically or analytically that sticks out to you, either about college basketball in general or any team or teams in particular? The biggest question that I get asked about or 
everyone's talking about is is the tiers. Everyone wants to talk about tiers of, of, of teams. And, you know, Gonzaga is undefeated, haven't played a close game in a really long time. You can't possibly not have them in the, in your top tier. Although when Michigan won a few big games, people, people did have them ranked over Gonzaga. So, I mean, we definitely overthink things a little bit. And that's the nature of, of how top 25 rankings work. It's, you know, a lot. Uh, based on momentum and and more than it probably should be. Uh, but then Baylor, like I said, came back and lost that game uh, or they, they dropped the game. And it was funny because I was working on a Michigan video during this time while Michigan was playing really well. And at that time, they were a pretty a pretty solid number three, like in Kempom rankings and in, in whatever rankings you're looking at. Baylor and Gonzaga were one and two pretty substantially when I started doing that. And so I started, and Michigan was three. And so I watched Michigan and I didn't necessarily see anything that, that made me think that the rankings, that those rankings were wrong. I, I felt like one and two were, were Gonzaga and Baylor. We can talk about them um, if you'd like, but uh, then as I'm making this video, Michigan got a few really big wins and they blew out. They blew a couple teams out, a couple good teams out. They beat Ohio State at Ohio State, um, and, and Baylor took the loss. And <laughs> I mean, I have this video coming out, so I I need to market it as much as possible. And so, you know, so it's like the video is called "Why Michigan's Offense Makes Them a National Title Contender." And I mean, it, they are a national title contender just just because they're not as good as as uh, Baylor or Gonzaga, which is still up for debate at this point. But now since then, Michigan has dropped two. And so it's really hard not to fall into that trap, mm-hmm. myself included, watching a team and just re- reacting to the immediate result as opposed to like the total season body of work. So talking about rankings, you know, so we put sometimes too much stock into a team that's ranked too high or not enough stop stock in a team team that's rated too low. Is there any one that comes to mind that falls into maybe one of those two categories? I don't even sometimes know what the AP top 25 is, but I, I, I will tell you this. I was watching a West Virginia game this weekend and they were like six or something like that in, in the AP ranking. And I, I turned to, uh, to, to my dad watching with and I was like West Virginia's number six so you know like I, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm looking right now they're 25th in uh in Kempom um they probably dropped though in the AP rankings um they're an interesting team because they lost Os- Oscar Sheboy halfway through and I I'm not I, they've been playing pretty well even without him but I was disappointed with, with him leaving because they had such a unique style of play. I, I called it bully ball. That was, that was my name for, for, for their style of play. And I really like unique stuff that coaches are trying. Uh, and, and they, re, they really changed. Now they play much more four out five out even w- without him. It's kind of crazy how, how much they changed just, just from one player leaving. Um, and they've become this, the big 12 in general is, uh, very offensive heavy right now it was the best defensive league in the country last year and to start this year and all of a sudden Baylor stopped playing defense and they're just scoring like 100 points now and, and West Virginia is kind of the same way um, so it's it's, it's uh, not what I was expecting with the Big 12. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever that's why coaches love huddle assist with assist you'll get full game breakdowns including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours 
Your stats are ready when you need them. An assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com assist to find out more. Coach, really quickly, let me tell you about a brand new app called Wildcard. It's a social engagement platform specifically designed for youth sports teams. You, your players, their parents, people are going to love this thing. The app allows you to create virtual training programs, manage schedules, give player and game reports, and post player videos and highlights. I've checked out the platform, and I highly recommend you give Wildcard a look. Especially in this climate, with a lot of us having limited or even no contact with our players, Wildcard allows you to stay connected and build culture with your players through the use of technology. Right now, there's a special promotion for a quick timeout listeners. You can download and use the app for free, but you must do so within the first two weeks of the release of this episode. So check the link in the show notes to download and start using Wildcard with your team today. You're going to love it. So let's talk X's and O's and get a little bit more detail to your coaches that are watching. Is there anything that you saw either for the first time this year or something that you know, you're seeing more of that is becoming a trend or something that you foresee becoming a trend in college basketball? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind, I felt like last year was was peak continuity ball screen last year. I mean, Dayton was the second best offense in the country, and they ran it almost full time. Stanford was running it full time. They, they still are this year. BYU uh, was was the best three-point shooting team in the country. They were running running continuity. I really thought it felt like it had it peaked. And this year, it's not that – to me, what's happened is a lot more teams are now going to the five out, where continuity ball screen is five out. It's all five guys start out on the perimeter. One guy sets a ball screen. He rolls, but then he comes right back out on, on the ball reversal. So it is a five out. But the five out I'm talking about that, that everyone seems to be running this year is where the center, the five man, is at the top of the key, like initiating offense with the ball in his hands. And everyone's running dribble handoffs and zoom action and, and all different stuff. I did a video on it early in the season. And, I mean, I must I, I must have covered about 12 of the top 25 teams. Not everyone's running it as much as others. You know, some some run it only only a little bit. But I, I think it directly correlates with continuity ball screen going down a little bit is, is five out going up. And it's been very popular in the NBA, too. So that's that's where it's coming from. It's kind of the emphasis that we're seeing now with more of like the more pace and space and creating yep. those gaps and that kind of thing, which leads me to the other side of the ball. Have you seen any adjustments then defensively from teams? I was watching a video, I think, a couple of weeks ago that you had on your timeline, almost the like lack of help defense because we're so concerned with the three-point mm-hmm. shooters that it, that it is what you, what you do see in the NBA where they're almost willing to give up a layup or something going towards the basket rather than leave a guy that's open in the corner. I'd say there's definitely a good amount of teams doing what you're describing. The help only when necessary style is, is kind of what I've been calling it. But there are quite a few teams. I mean, San Diego State uh, is is probably the best pack line team this season. Like they, their numbers are actually better than Virginia's defensively or Louisville's, you know, some Indiana, some of the more well-known pack line teams. And San Diego State, I mean, they shrink the floor. Everyone's, everyone's up on, uh, closer to the ball. The t- uh, team I'm working on right now, a video on, is Houston. And they're one of these teams that's kind of hard to exactly identify what you should call their defense but they put two on the ball constantly in, in ball screens it's not necessarily like a hard hedge but it's two on the ball in, in 
every ball screen situation with the five man that they'll switch one through four, but with the five man, and then they double the post. I mean, that's been their big thing. Is you know, that's what Kelvin Sampson has almost become known for in, in coaching circles is, is doubling the post. For the video I'm making, I have some quotes of of their coaching staff talking about how they they want to take away the take away twos over threes. Um, and but you have a team like Loyola who I did a video on that. I mean, they're pretty much the opposite. It's it's all about tough twos. And I, I think that the D1 game right now is at a really really good place where you can do it a lot of different ways. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that lower levels simply protecting the rim is or you know stopping the ball and, and because shooting isn't isn't at a younger age isn't quite a, as efficient i think that the game is very clearly to, designed for stopping the ball i think that the nba is the other way almost it's like you can't give any help because everyone's so good on the floor and so just from like an experimental coaching perspective i do i mean i'm biased though because i cover <laughs> i cover d1 basketball yeah. but uh I, I do think that it's at a pretty good spot where it's like a little bit of both sides of it's a little bit like high school basketball and it's a little bit like nba basketball and you can play it both ways i'll start with alabama you know what do you like about <laughs> NATO's team and then that again going back to the pace space shot selection yeah when i when i read that article i think everybody read you know i don't i don't know the, the person who wrote it at all but it almost sounded like you know he's doing this and the nba is doing this and he's revolutionary at the college level that's doing this i know high school teams that are doing that sure. i think it's just becoming like more of an emphasis so aside from just playing with pace and space and shot selection what do you like about his team yeah that's a good point even in the five out video that i did I had a clip from like a 2010 practice of, of Richmond, you know, running running five out, like exactly what is now being run. Five, and, and really it's before 2010, that was just a YouTube clip I, I found, you know, and, and you're right. Like I probably should have mentioned this a little bit more in, in the video, but there's tons of high school coaches running five out motion. I think it's a little bit different than, than what college teams are running. It's like more of the Bob Knight style of motion than the, the five out stuff that a lot of teams are running is is very dribble handoff oriented and and with some more ball screens it's, it's a little bit different but um I, I agree with you as for alabama they're confusing because they're really good defensively you know it's like their pace and space and and it's not just saying that they're playing fast like they're number two in offensive possession length but the numbers back it up that they actually do play fast but they're much they're, they're an average for, for a high major team they're very average and they're they're elite defensively i, I actually am a little bit concerned about them though because some of their defensive success is three-point luck. Their opponents are shooting under 30% from three as of a couple of days ago on the season. And, you know, defenses don't have total control over that. So I would expect some regression towards the mean there. The other thing I heard in a Nate Oates interview a while back that about how surprised he was that, that, they, that they've been this good defensively. Uh, like they had certain goals and they've completely shattered those goals. To me, like that's actually not the best sign. Like there, there's probably been some luck involved if, if your coaching staff is, is that surprised. So between those two things, you know, the three-point percentage, especially, you know, uh, I, I would expect maybe some regression, but also it's the nature this, the nature of a single elimination tournament is mm-hmm. it's 40 minutes. We, they can continue shooting poorly from three, the other opposite can happen. Um, and then we'll write about it. Like it was destined to happen afterwards, regardless. So. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if they still are, but at one point here recently, Michigan was ranked in the top 10 offensive and defensive efficiently. Mm-hmm. What let's go with the offensive side. Like, what do you like about their offense? Yeah, so they're they're six in offense and four in defense right now. So they're they're still top ten in both. Yeah, Michigan is. I would if, if you're a coach listening, I would definitely recommend recommend um, checking out the Michigan offense. It's a fun watch from an X's and O's standpoint. Uh, first of all, they have a really really good ball movement. I think that's like the prevailing theme. They uh, have a really good back to the back. Excuse me, a really good back to the basket post up guy, um, a quick speedy point guard, and then wings. And so athletic kind of slashing wings. And so they they play pretty a diverse way of playing offense with they can use all three of those different play types and juan howard has a pretty large playbook 
um, which is fun from an X's and O's perspective. But then regardless of what they're running, the ball movement is really good. They're not an amazing three-point shooting team. One thing I highlighted from them is that they catch to drive a lot, which can be really good um, for them. I think that they kind of maximize that skill, but also sometimes it's like just shoot it when you're open. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I do really like wa- watching them. And I do think that Michigan is really good, but naturally we think really highly of them after the wins and <laughs> less after the losses too. So. Yeah, I mean, speaking to the Illinois loss last week, do you, I mean, yeah. any concern? That was a thumping. That wasn't a loss. That was a thumping. Yeah, I, I mean, Illinois' defensive game plan was really good. They they always drop in, in ball screens. They, Illinois' default ball screen coverage is, is a drop coverage, and they have a, a legitimate seven-footer, Kofi Coburn, um, who's gotten – when he, he's a sophomore last year, the first 10 games of his freshman season, he was pretty brutal in, in ball screens, guarding ball screens. And I think they've, cha- they've dropped him even more since then. They, they're having him get up a little bit. But also, he's just gotten a lot better. Yeah, I, they, it really bothered Michigan, who didn't want to take those, for good reason, didn't want to take those pull-up twos, the, the, the mid-range twos against it, against the drop, and were struggling to get to the rim against Coburn. And and and, and the backup center for uh, for Illinois, too, I'll butcher his last name, but Georgie is his first name. So it, it, to me, it didn't seem like it was total luck by any means that that, that Illinois um, game plan was solid. Um, but you do have to have that seven-footer to, to, uh, to really be effective with the way they were with that drop coverage. But it's it'll be interesting to see how teams start to scheme against Michigan in, in the conference tournament and in the NCAA tournament. Too. Probably one of those where it sounds great if you have a game plan, but you also have to have the personnel as well. And I think we sometimes under undervalue that. Another Big Ten team, Iowa, according to Synergy, they post up 15% of their offensive possessions. They're ranked in the 97th percentile at a 1.03 points per possession in the post. You know, obviously, Luca is a big part of that, but post-ups with a big guy, a really big guy, when you have someone pl- when you have somebody that's playing that way, a style that nowadays a lot of teams aren't playing that way, does that make a difference from a defensive perspective? Because I mean, it's one thing to know how to go, like you said, to go double a, a post player and the rotations and work on that. But a yeah. lot of teams aren't playing that way necessarily these days. Mm. Does that cause any problem? I agree, but the one place where they are playing that way is the Big Ten. Like, there's yeah. a lot. There, there sure. are a lot of uh, sure. Big Ten teams that post up, which, which is, I mean, for them the tournament when you're not playing Big Ten teams because that, no that wow, they're really good now. Yeah, I mean, Big Ten is interesting because I think it's it's pretty far and away the best conference from from top to bottom but it is a lot different than specifically a lot different than mid-major leagues um yeah i mean it's a hard thing to to measure or or really evaluate because it's been a weird year with non-conference games and 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 all of that Um, but i mean i think it's a it's a good point luca garza in particular can just really overwhelm certain teams with with his size Uh, and what iowa does a really good job of they're they're a motion-based offense, um, but when you have the leading scorer in the country, naturally it becomes a little bit more post-ISOs at times, as it should. You know, like it, it's not it's not always equal opportunity motion, but they do a really good job of of moving on the backside as Garza's posting up. So they'll set flare screens on the weak side, they'll exchange on the weak side, they'll set pin downs, uh, and so as soon as someone locks in to help, a lot of teams will try to front Garza, so lock in on that weak side help, and now there's some motion going on where a lot of guys, a lot of the guys on their team can shoot. Um, and, and they have some pretty good passers too. Uh, Fran McCaffrey's son Connor is a really good post entry passer, and yeah, so they, they they have given teams a lot of trouble. Their big thing is is they don't guard very well, and they've been guarding a lot better recently. I don't necessarily have a strong opinion on if, if I really haven't watched their their defense too much lately to, if that's sustainable or not. But them and Gonzaga are, and I guess you can put Baylor in the mix too. Those are the best offensive teams of the country. I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, let me talk about mid majors, smaller teams, lesser that we don't necessarily always pay attention to. I'm from South Carolina. I know members mm-hmm. of the Winthrop coaching staff, so yeah. I'm partial a little bit. I know you paid attention to them this year. Is there a mid major like Winthrop or even Winthrop that would make potentially make some noise in the tournament, maybe even win two or even three games? Yeah, Winthrop. I did. I tweeted some of their plays. I haven't watched like full games of them, to be honest with you. They. I, I mean, just from what what I have watched, they're well coached and they've got the 
Chandler Baudrin. I hope I'm saying that right. He's got three triple doubles on the year. But yeah, the, the I guess the mid-major or, or from a mid-major league that I focus on the most has been Loyola Chicago, who I'm sure everyone listening remembers their final four run just four years ago now. I, I think that you can make a pretty good case that this team is better than than um, that team. They certainly are ranked higher in efficiency metrics than, than that pre- previous team was that made the final four. I mean, that team almost lost in the first round. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's hard to say um, how things shake out when when uh, they tip the ball up for in the NCAA tournament. But they're really, really good defensively. I believe Loyola Chicago is number one right now. Yeah, they're still they're still number one mm-hmm. um, in, in defensive efficiency. I mean, they're fun to watch. I really enjoyed um, the bit, making the video that I put together on them. But if you watch, they played Wisconsin in non-conference and Richmond in non-conference. Those were their two, I think their two best games. And it did not look that good. They did not look like the number one defense in the country in, in those two games. My point in the video was, I probably would have, would have said the same exact thing about the loyal team that went to the final four. You know, they, they, they lost a couple games in, in non-conference play. Uh, so it's hard to say, but specifically in the Wisconsin game, they're getting blown by a little bit. Um, they're a team that doesn't like to give a lot of help. And so it feels like they're able to really, really blow out Missouri Valley teams because of how much easier it is to guard the ball than, than against a team like Wisconsin. But I'd love to have a larger sample size there. They just didn't play a ton of those types of teams. Right. Uh, this is the last one that has to do with this. I had a Twitter poll recently, and you already talked about these teams, but Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, or the field. Your vote mm-hmm. to cut down the nets this year would be who? So I get all three of them if I pick them? Is that- no, you have to pick Gonzaga uh, or Baylor or Michigan, okay. or would you take the field? Yeah, so I think the right pick there is the field if you can only take one. I think – I think that Gonzaga is a pretty big favorite, but it's almost impossible to be over 50% to win six games in a row. It's, it's really difficult. I, I would be curious, like that Anthony Davis, Kentucky team, we could probably look it up what, what they were going into the end, but they weren't 50%. I mean, I, and I am definitely not someone who worries about Gonzaga's recent schedule. I, I just, uh, they've made more sweet 16s than anyone in the last however many, I don't know what the stats are. If you, if someone ever whines about Gonzaga, their fans will come to the rescue with, with, with the sweet 16 stats. But, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they played a tough non-conference schedule and looked pretty dominant. And I think even like they've, they've changed their starting lineup since then. Andrew Nemhard now starts. They, they play they play smaller. That, that would be the one thing that I'm worried about with them is they they do have size, but they don't necessarily use it that much. Uh, their, their, their best lineup is small ball. Mm-hmm. And so a Hunter Dickinson, who's a seven footer on Michigan, or even Kofi Coburn, that that's interesting to, to because Drew Timmy's their big, and they definitely don't want to get him in foul trouble. So how they would kind of guard those seven footers? That that's interesting. But on the other hand, those seven footers are going to have to guard Gonzaga, <laughs> so it you know it evens out a little bit. Right. I've liked a couple of your videos already, but when people get done listening to this, which one, two or three breakdowns yeah. would you recommend they go watch? Maybe the, maybe the ones that you enjoyed putting together the most this year. Yeah. Um, well, the YouTube channel is Hoop Vision sixty eight, and yeah, I think. I think maybe the Loyola Chicago video. Uh, it's it's yeah, I think it's a good one. It's an interesting defensive scheme that they run. Uh, I've got some clips of Porter Moser talking about it, so it's it's not just me. You know, there's yeah, there's some good stuff in there, um, especially if, if you're on the coaching side of stuff. Yeah, and then hopefully the YouTube algorithm after you watch the first one will just recommend the next one, and the next one, and you know, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Lost our hours. Lost our hours. Yeah. <laughs> great, uh, great opportunity to prep for your bracket pool, which leads me to less that you forgot that I would go without uh without putting some pressure on you again this year. Is there a hoop vision bracket challenge this year? Oh man, I kind of remember what was my answer last year. You know, <laughs> last year was you were, you should hire me to do your marketing, but you still didn't put oh, one together. Man. But I let you off the hook last year because obviously the, the tournament was canceled and we weren't right there. Yeah, it, so. yeah. Ooh. Um, that's still have, still have some time. You probably have about four days here to. Although if people aren't listening to this live, then 
hopefully there will already have been a hoop vision bracket challenge for them to sign gotcha. up. yeah i don't know I'm, I'm trying to think I, I do have some hoop vision merch that it could maybe like give sure. away yeah. sure. so we'll yeah. look out for that if we do that then uh, i'll post that in the description or something you can go sign up for that and win a hoop vision hoop vision not hoops vision vision <laughs> hq.com is where you want to go look for for all of that information so uh that's jordan sperber of hoop vision be sure to check him out they have i saw actually on the store you have for sale the tournament bible from a couple years ago yep. i feel like for the hoops junkie that would still be or for the coach that would still be a great purchase and it was only like five bucks i think so yeah you know what it's it's funny because sometimes i feel like there's especially these teams that bring everyone back it's like there's sure, not, that, it's not that i mean there are some that are very different but sure. it's, i was thinking about that this year it's like i've written about creighton's offensive scheme for three years in a row i guess it doesn't change that much you right. know so yeah copy and paste of this year's uh, version of it. You'd probably get away with that and people wouldn't even recognize it so uh, always a pleasure talking with you jordan thanks so much for coming back on the show yeah thanks for having me on hopefully we don't cancel the ncaa tournament again this absolutely time. absolutely <laughs> fingers crossed That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.